Listener Production. Car Sales acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. I've looked into financing a car before, but the whole process seems really complicated, so I would rather just save up until I have the cash to buy one outright. Hi, I'm Erin Mullen and welcome to Everything You Auto Know, an educational series about everything you ought to know about cars. Budgeting can often be the hardest part of buying a new car. Nowadays, you don't need to buy a car outright, there are options. But what are those options and where do you even start? I have Mike Sinclair here from Car Sales to lay it all out for us. Mike, car financing, is that just something you do if you don't have the cash up front or are there other kind of reasons that you do it? I guess the obvious thing, Erin, is if you've got the money and you can afford to spend it, then pay cash because you've got no borrowing costs, you've got none of those ongoing costs. But the other thing to consider is do you really want to park all that money yes. in uh, in one spot at one time? So there are lots of options to finance cars. And in many cases, if you're running a business, if you've got that tax deductibility, you can actually make sure that the tax man's paying for part of your car. Oh, that always helps. Is it a good option, do you think? I guess for that reason, yes. Oh, look, I think it is. And I think it gives people the option to buy a newer car, perhaps a car that's safer, a car that better accommodates their family, a car that maybe has got a bit more on their wish list. I mean, let's face it, cars are not just about utility. They're not just about, um, you know, getting from A to B. Certainly they're not for me and I don't think they are for you. You actually want your car to say something about you and having a little few extra readies in your back pocket doesn't hurt, does it? Makes you feel good as well, you know, when you're in a nicer car and it doesn't need to be, you know, super expensive or super fancy, but you do just feel a little bit better. Yeah, and and there's certain cars that just suit certain people and, you know, you may not have the absolute budget to go and buy, you know, that Ferrari, but, you know, you can buy something red and nice. (laughs) What is a comparison rate? Right, we're getting into the technical stuff now. Comparison rate effectively is, is a number that is put there and advertised that gives you an indication of what the total effective cost is. So it combines all those things like uh, all the fees and charges that are incurred during the life of your loan and as well as the the actual interest rate. So it gives consumers the ability to compare apples with oranges really because every finance product is a little bit different. Yeah, it is. It's um, Especially if it's not your world and it, it feels quite overwhelming. The first step, if you want to finance a car, are you better off going to a dealership, to a bank? Are you better off just to shop around and look at lots of different options? There are lots of options and I guess what's going to be best for you is going to depend on your own personal circumstance. So certainly from dealerships, there's some very competitive rates. It's often linked to the age of the car. So, you know, you'll find that cars in run out will have really good finance deals. It's it's linked also to how many cars the brand wants to sell, how how it wants to grow its, maybe its footprint in a certain space. So it might have a new SUV that it hasn't been in a space before and they'll make really attractive rates about it. So don't dismiss dealer finance, but it's also good to be able to have a, you know, you probably got your home loan with somebody, you probably got a good relationship with a lender. Yeah. So you do have the option there to really look at um, what sort of products they can deliver to you. And it might be a personal loan. It might be a car loan that's actually secured against the vehicle. So there's a number of different types of opportunities there. And 
for instance, as we mentioned before, if you're running a business, then you know there's a whole bunch of commercial products, you know, different types of leasing. Some companies offer their people, whether they're private individual or whatever, but they offer novated leasing opportunities where they can you can buy a car which has some tax effectiveness in terms of what you, what against your salary. So just to sum up, then I guess the different ways that you can pay for a car. So you can pay outright. You can finance it from a personal kind of perspective as an individual. And then you've got that commercial element, which can be leasing or that kind of thing. Is that basically the three ways that you can get a car into your own hands? Yeah. And I guess the other one that sort of is half is on that personal side of it is actually having a car loan rather than a personal loan where the car is actually the collateral for the loan. What kind of things would determine whether or not you get approved for a car loan? Because for a lot of young people, this might be the first time they're really going to be tested on their ability to get finance or pay something back. You might have a credit card for a couple of grand, but this is a, a different ballpark. How do they determine whether they approve it? Well, essentially you go through an application process and you're going to need a fair bit of information to do that. So they're going to look at things like how much the car is, how much down payment or deposit, how much of the car are you financing. They're going to look at your salary. They're going to look at your employment history. It's important you show what assets you have, any money you've got in the bank, any those sorts of things, because obviously that sets you up to be a better prospect for the bank. And then also document any other debts, you know, credit card, those sorts of things. One of the things that people often don't understand, and I didn't understand it until I went through this process, is you might only have $1,000 on your credit card, but if it's a $30,000 limit on your credit card, they'll assume you're going to spend that $30,000. So that go, they'll do that when they're factoring in you for your car loan. And if you've defaulted on your credit card, if you haven't had a good history in your credit card, they're going to look at your credit history. So you need to be realistic there and, and understand before you go in how good you are as a customer um, because that will also affect how much you pay. And what about pre-approval, Mike? Is that a good idea? It's a great idea and, and, and thanks for bringing it up. It's one of those things that we often say to consumers when they're going out to negotiate the purchase for a, of a new car, you want to know how much you can spend. And if you've got a pre, if you're going to finance and you've got pre-approval, then it takes that whole part of that, I guess, that angst at the other end out of it. So many lenders will give you a pre-approval up to a certain amount. It's no different from when people are buying a house. It also means that uh, you can confidently go and look at not only dealer cars or new cars, but you can also look at private cars because obviously that tends to be a quicker, sharper transaction with private sellers. If it's a $30,000 car and you know you can spend your $30,000, then it makes the negotiation a lot quicker, a lot easier. Really well said. What about fees? I'm assuming like, you know, like a mortgage or anything else, any other kind of loan, that if your car's ten grand, you're not going to be making 10 $1,000 payments. There are going to be fees, there's going to be charges. How much more is it? So the reality is that, yeah, you're going to be paying an interest rate and that's going to be an annual interest rate. And depending on the type of loan and what security you're offering, it'll be, and what sort of borrower you are, you'll be paying more or less in the interest rate. So the other fees that will come along the way, there's usually an application fee. And, you know, that can vary from quite a small amount or in fact being waived by some lenders right the way through to, you know, five, six, seven hundred bucks. There's annual annual and or monthly fees, even early repayment fees. You go and yeah. pay your loan, certain types of loan out. You pay it early, you're going to pay sort of a, a fee to pay that out. There's what they call documentation fees, which I think I've always thought is one of those ones where it's just basically how do we get another $15 a month out of you? <laughs> All these yeah. fees should be set out in the agreement. You should be able to see them up front. 
I think most people will go into any kind of agreement like this with the best of intentions to make every single payment and, and, and with, I guess, confidence that they're going to be able to do that. But you look at what happened with COVID and, and people who've never had to line up and ask for help in their lives, those lines outside Centrelink still break my heart. Things can happen that are out of our control. What happens if you do miss a payment? Are you automatically, that's it? Or are there ways that you can work with the company? Like how brutal is it? Modern lenders are a lot more, because of COVID and because of those sorts of situations, are a lot more responsible in terms of how they've dealt with their customers. Yes. The most important thing is if you do miss a payment, get it paid as soon as you can, but also reach out. If you're having difficulties, reach out to the lender, communicate. You'll probably cop a fee if you miss a payment. Don't think that you can just continue to miss them because the fees will mount up. Mm. Um, Reach out, have that discussion If you mention you are in financial hardship, there is an obligation for the lender to look after you and to find a way to work through, to re, if you like, realign the the loan and realign how your payment should be being paid. Once you make that agreement, make sure you stick to it. If you still owe money on a car, so if you're maybe halfway through whatever your financial agreement is to pay it off, you can sell it, can you? You can definitely sell a car that's under finance. It's typically termed an encumbered vehicle. The checklist is pretty simple. So contact the lender and ask for a payout figure. It's really important you have that information because it's going to depend on how you price your car and do those sorts of things. Once that sale of the vehicle is agreed, you should ask your lender for a payout letter. What your lender will do is give you a letter which has the amount, which has where the account should be paid, those sorts of things. And then you supply the copy of that letter to the buyer with instructions explaining how to pay out the lender. So you make sure that that happens. Conversely, you can do that yourself, but you need to be obviously aware of that the buyer needs to understand that that's going to be paid out. Also important, confirm to yourself and also to your buyer that that loan's been paid out. Just bear in mind that if the payout is more than you're getting for the car, you are still liable to pay that extra amount out. Can you refinance a car loan in the same way, say, you'd refinance, you know, a home loan? You can. It depends on a number of factors. It often depends on how old the car is and it depends on, obviously, all of those financial positions you're in. But it is an option and it's one of those options that some people might consider. One of the interesting things that's come up is with Novated Leasing is that because Novated Leasing is tax effective and it suits some people on some salaries, then many Novated leasing companies offer you the ability to buy your existing car and Novated oh, lease yes. that. So it's it's an interesting, quite complex, and, and I'm not even going to pretend to be able to explain how it works <laughs> here, but I know that some people have done it with prestige cars, cars that are still worth plenty of money and they, and they want to keep that car and, and it's sort of one of those cars that they like being a part of. Yeah, right. Well, it is a complex but fascinating world and I feel like you have cleared it up immensely for us today. Mike, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Being able to drive away in a Toyota Hilux today might be exactly what a busy trader needs to get his business going. And financing might just be the tool to make it happen. But once you buy the car, you still have other costs to consider, like insurance. On the next episode, we talk insurance with Carl Dwight, the executive manager of motor claims at the Suncorp Group. Driving on the roads is risky behaviour. I think if you think about it like getting on a bike to go for a ride, you put on a helmet. The likelihood of you coming off your bike in a way that worst thing happens and you suffer a brain injury, that's very low probability, but the impact on your life is catastrophic. That's next time. Bye for now. 
This podcast is a listener production hosted by me, Erin Molan, and made in partnership with Car Sales. Executive producer is Todd Stevens, producer is Kelsey Menzies, and audio by Kelly Fulston. Listener.